of the Pops Podcast. I'm Don Weissenden. I'm Caitlin McClure. I'm Krista Hoffman-Lonken. And I'm Gary Ware. And we are here today to talk about applied improvisation, a superpower that I hope uh, each of us will help bring to your work uh, in the context of public speaking in particular, but also communication education. So all of us have backgrounds as improvisational performers, but we also each use this work in what's called applied improvisation, which is the use of improvisational tools and techniques outside of theatrical contexts. It's being used in businesses, in healthcare, in science communication, uh, in democracy building now, and uh, conflict management skills. And uh, in this podcast, we hope to not only give you a series of exercises that you can use in the public speaking classroom, uh, you can use yourself perhaps uh, for overcoming challenges in public speaking, but also just for uh, communication improvement in general. We hope to separate uh, the myths from the truths of this as well, talk about what this is, what this isn't, and uh, we'll tell you about projects that we're all involved with uh, as both practitioners and scholars in these areas. So with that, um, I did want to turn this over to Caitlin McClure just for a moment, who is the author of Applied Improvisation, Volume 1, and a new forthcoming book, uh, The Applied Improvisation Mindset, co-edited with uh, uh, Teresa Dudek. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yep, is that right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, just to provide a formal definition of what this is uh, from the book, I think, uh, right from the outset. Yep. Great. Thank you so much, Don. So uh, this book, uh, the first of the series is a series of case studies of people who use these tools and principles of improvised theater, and they apply them to a number of different settings. So here's the definition that we've got in the first book, the umbre- applied improvisation. The umbrella term widely used to denote the application of theater improvisation, theories, tenets, games, techniques, and exercises beyond conventional theater spaces to foster the growth and or development of flexible structures, new mindsets, and a range of inter and intrapersonal skills required in today's volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous world. I love that. That's the official stamp of scientific approval uh, there with that definition. Thank why. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And and one other way we we think about this work, sometimes many of you might know about improv comedy. You might know about shows such as Whose Line Is It Anyway, which are improvised or Curb Your Enthusiasm, these long form shows that are improvised. Uh, This is not improv for comedy entertainment. But if laughter and humor and play and joy are a byproduct of this work, we love that. That is a goal, too. But this is about improv for human growth and development, fundamentally. So we're going to talk about that with public speaking today, especially. To start us off, though, we thought we would provide you listeners with two exercises uh, that not only you can use in public speaking instruction or improving your own public speaking, but uh, as a way into what this is, uh, just to demonstrate it right from the bat before we get into what concepts is this connected to and uh, theories and things like that. So to start us off, uh, Gary is going to lead us through an exercise. Yes, our first exercise is the game Last Word, First Word. Uh, The point of this exercise is to help uh, participants be better at listening and responding in the moment. So um, how this works is uh, our two participants, they're going to have a conversation. 
and uh, they're going to go back and forth, back and forth. Here's the catch. The first word of the next sentence needs to start with the last word that was previously said. And uh, we'll let it go for a little bit and then we'll jump into a quick debrief and then we'll we'll have uh, someone just give an observation of, of what they of what they saw, what they heard to help you as a practitioner, as a person who will play this, be able to understand uh, this a little bit deeper. So um, Don and Caitlin, I believe you two are going to go. So uh, to get them started, uh, let's just have them talk about vacations. You know, that's something that people can have a conversation about. And Don, um, do you want to kick it off if you don't mind? Sure. Oh, Caitlin, I am desperate for a vacation. Vacation, vacation, vacation. That's all I have been thinking about lately. Lately has just been a fog with this pandemic. It's been it's been hard thinking about anything else. Elsewise, upwise, downwise, roundwise, all I keep thinking about is how do I click off of my meetings? How do I actually go into a three-dimensional world and 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 unplug from all the virtual and be be real? Real is in right now. That's what that's what I'm reading about. <laughs> it's about getting back to human connection finally. Finally, I sat down last week and I mapped out my calendar for the summer and it's like okay i'm gonna take this time i'm gonna take some of this time i'm gonna you know knock on wood and seed we'll just call it right there what an amazing job uh yes yeah, some snaps some claps all right so just quick debrief um what was that like for for both of you to participate in that activity I felt we'll start the, with Don. the feeling I had at the end was that we could go much longer, actually. I, I was like, oh, wood. Oh, it, it immediately sparked something in my mind I hadn't been expecting. But we, I just had this feeling this conversation could keep going and we probably would get even more aligned as we, we went on. Similarly, um, I was just, I felt like I was just kind of catching my groove, like, okay, because this is real. I actually have sat down and, you know, I did recently sit down and look at my calendar and everything. So it was like, oh, good. Let's just, let's just talk about me. <laughs> so I was, I was happy to keep talking. And, and what was fun was that my, I was like laser focused on Don. Like, what is it? What is he, where, where is his sentence going to end? I couldn't um i couldn't drift off i had to make sure that i was really paying attention to everything because that was my next word agreed yeah. great point and i also felt planning just just go out of the window a bit i felt like mm -hmm. oh i know where she's going and then all of a sudden she'd add another sentence and it wasn't that direction and i had mm -hmm. to adapt a bit in the moment mm -hmm. yes okay. and so to that point about adapting in the moment can we you know think about how would this activity and practicing this activity what does this have to do with with public speaking? What sort of skills are we learning that we can apply um, to that area? Lovely question. Yeah, I, I I guess if Caitlin was the audience and I'm looking out at the audience, I, I would there's much more I might have to do to, like you were saying, Gary, adapt to people around versus just go with 
the script in my head. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking that so much of the value of this is the outward focus. So maybe I'm giving the presentation, but what this was helping me practice was like being laser focused on what the other person is saying and doing. Great. And if you're giving a talk, you hear people begin to fidget in their seats or you, you get the feeling of a room where people are sort of tuning out that you need to pay attention to, right? So it really helps you focus less on you and your script and more on how is it landing? Really great points. Thank you so much. And I'd love to turn it over to Krista as the observer of this activity. What sort of observations did you notice? Yeah, thanks, Gary. Um, and thanks to Don and Kate for uh, running a great activity there. One of the things that Gary demonstrated here that I think is gonna be helpful for listeners as you think about this activity and think about incorporating these kinds of activities into your own training or instruction is just the masterful way that Gary debriefed that activity with our participants. And there's a, um, a, a little sort of shorthand um, that I think is a great structure to use when you're talking about debriefing activities like this. And the first one is that Gary made clear what his goal was, which is awesome, right? That this is about listening and really encouraging our participants to think about listening. Now, Kate and Don found other great things in that conversation, but that listening, that point of focus, which is sometimes a phrase that we use and apply to improv, um, is made clear at the front end. Then I think the other thing that's helpful um, that's sort of a kind of meta perspective of what Gary did is um, the strategy that he used to debrief, which sometimes we use a shorthand of uh, sort of three phrases, what, so what, now what? So Gary started by saying, what was that like for you? That's that kind of what phase. And then he moved our participants into the so what, uh, what does this have to do with public speaking was what he said. And then in the now what um, that Kate and Don again got to really masterfully, which is if I'm doing a talk or if I'm thinking about the audience, here's how this perspective might change the way that I approach my practice. And that's really at its core what applied improv is about. It's not not just about having fun and connecting with others, but it's about thinking about how these new mindsets can help folks change their practice for the better. That's great. Thank you all for uh, running this exercise. And one thing I hope you also notice too, is when you switch to teaching or training in this way, uh, you're going to be putting away the PowerPoint instruction much more. You're going to be immersing people in experiences where they have to confront the concepts in live action, and then you intellectualize about it after. That's my favorite part of it. Love it. Um, we thought we would give you one more exercise, though, too. And for this, uh, what I like about this one is it switches to having participants, students work individually. Um, and it leads to a really big lesson that I, I, I often find uh, is, is quite a revelation for folks. And I first uh, came across this exercise, uh, many different places I've seen it, but it was from uh, Selinsky and White's The Improv Handbook, uh, my original source on this. So uh, this is called That Is, and I'm gonna ask Gary, Krista, and Caitlin, I'm gonna do very short rounds of this, and you, listeners at home or in the car, wherever you're at, to uh, engage in this exercise with me. I'm gonna go about, there's gonna be about 30 seconds of silence in each of three rounds here, okay? So those 30 seconds, those pockets of silence are for you to be doing this exercise. Okay, we're gonna do it very quickly. So first round, here we go, folks. 
um, I would like you to stand up and walk around the room and point at things and say what they are, right? So if you've got like a plant there and a wall over there, go plant, wall, just point at it and say what it is. Very simple, 30 seconds. Here we go. Okay, and stop right there, come back. I decided to improvise in the moment here and shorten it to 20 seconds because I think uh, 30 on a podcast, we're gonna adjust. That's what this is about, adapting. So 20 seconds, we're gonna do uh, now round two. Round two, here we go. I would like you to walk, or get up, walk around the room or wherever you're at seated, point at things, and this is hard folks, you're gonna point at things and say the previous thing you pointed at as you point at the new thing. Quick example, and I, you can't see this a bit, Gary, Chris, and Caitlin, the, yeah, the, oh no, <laughs> right? It, this is gonna be a little hard, but we'll try. So let's say I first pointed at the floor and then I pointed at the ceiling. As I point at the ceiling, I use the word floor. And now I point at the wall. As I point at the wall, I'm gonna say ceiling. It's the last thing you pointed at that you say for the new thing. Here we go, 30 seconds and go, 20 seconds. Okay, and stop right there. Uh, as you sit down this round, uh, you shake it out. You just gotta shake it out, right? It, applied improv, using that for communication to, uh, instruction, public speaking is all about embodiment, movement, getting more than just the head involved. Okay, here we go. Uh, round three, and we'll talk about the exact application for public speaking right after this. So 20 seconds. Now what I want you to do is walk around the room and point at things and say anything other than what they are as you point at them. Okay, here we go. 20 seconds, go. Okay, everyone stop, come back, uh, have a seat, shake that off a little bit. Okay, so here's my question and uh, everybody's shaking this out. Good, all right. So um, round, uh, round one, round two, round three. Um, how many of you put your hands up found round one the hardest where you were just pointing at things and saying what they are? Nope, nobody. Okay, round two, how many of you found that the hardest? Put your hands up. Round two, I, and in this situation, I've got no one, no one, okay? And round three, how many of you found that the hardest? Uh, and here we have Gary, Krista, and Caitlin all putting their hands up for round three. So let's talk about these. Round one was easy, right? Can we all agree? Point of things, say what they are. Round two, did you still find that difficult even although you found round three harder? And, and can I ask you all, what, what did you find hard about round two? I'll go first. Uh, the focus, remembering what the last thing was because i feel like sometimes i have a tendency of like just going from next thing to the next thing and so it did require me to slow down and say what was that last thing so it yeah 
it, it was hard in that way, just the remembering part of things, okay? Um, we'll come back to round two in just a moment. Round three, tell me, uh, maybe Krista or Kate, what, what did you find hard about round three? You all put your hands up for that one. So for me, round three, part of the reason why I think it was hard is that I, it was very easy to want to fall into a pattern of sorts. Um, so, you know, I, there's a universe of things in the room. I'm sort of doing another version of round two, which seemed easy. So I ended up kind of stymied at times because I was running out of, I, out of things. And I think that goes back to, you know, for me, like I'm creating rules for myself in my head that aren't there. Oh, I love oh. that. It's a, it's a little bit of like round two, you transported that rule to the third round as well. Uh, maybe a little unconsciously interesting. And Kate, yeah. I want to add to that because round two took me a while to figure out how to make this work. But once I figured it out, it was, I, I felt like I wanted to just kind of keep going with it. Like it was almost in this little Zen state. It was very satisfying. There was something very satisfying about round two once I got there. Yeah. Round three, all the chatter in my head came back. Yes. Like you, you've said porcupine. Can, can the water bottle be the porcupine and the lamp be the porcupine? I don't know. You've said like that. You know, this, this, and all of this three syllable words, one syllable word. What is this thing? That's not a good word. I, you know, all of this stuff came back in again. Yeah. And round two, simple. You point at the thing, you say the thing you said before. I mean, once you got it, it was simple. The, 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 I just had to follow instructions. It was, it was easier in that. It was hard. And, and, but instructions surfaced within yourself a lot too. It sounds like you were, had yeah. a lot, a lot of cacophony kind of going on. Mm -hmm. right? Okay. A critique. critique. Self-critique. Yeah. In that third round. And yeah. this is where we get to the public speaking application here. So round two, I gave you a real rule that was hard to follow. It's generally hard for mm -hmm. human beings to follow. Remember the last thing and keep going, you know, and sometimes we add, I'll add a variation and say, go faster. <laughs> like, oh, I can't go faster, right? It's hard, a real world to follow. Round three is fascinating. And I'll tell you all uh, listening to this podcast that on average, I would say I get about 50% hands up for round two being the most difficult and about 50% round three being the most difficult. In this situation, all of you round three was the most difficult. What's interesting about round three is that there really were no rules. I mean, aside from just like point and say any, you could have said anything at all, right? We could have gone around and been like orange, 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 right? anything at all. But what surfaces within us is a rule, we, a rules that we make up that actually don't exist in the situation, right? And so different than the first exercise, last word, first word was about adapting to the other person. This one is fundamentally about getting out of your own way. It highlights all the ways in which we each get in our own way. So a lot of people round three, they don't know they're doing this, but they're applying a rule of, I must be creative, right? And so you see that struggle. I love that Caitlin struggle, porcupine. Can I say that again? Oh, no, I can't. I must come up with something new, right? And it doesn't exist in the situation, but we make up rules and we apply them to ourselves. So can I ask all of you with public speaking, what are rules that you think people make up about public speaking, about what they can or can't do, that where they get in their own way with this task of public speaking. I've got one. You yeah. can't make a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Must be perfect. Must be perfect because everybody's watching you. Mm -hmm. I've got another one. You can't ever say anything wrong. Yeah. Right. Everything out of that comes out of your mouth has to be 100% correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I've I've one. You have to come across a certain way. If you're a uh, public speaker, 
you have to have this aura about you're this professional. Love that. It, it must be it must be TED Talk esque or nothing. Like there's no in between there, right? And yeah, you can see it. All kinds of rules people make up. You can see how this relates probably to the the number one issue people face in this area, which is nervousness. People come to get nervous. How do I reduce anxiety? Well, the first thing is to recognize some ways we get in our own way, and we make up ways in which we might be nervous, right? So how could we peel off the layers a little bit uh, to, to get there a little bit more? How could we have create both a safe and a brave space to perform beyond our current abilities a little bit? So uh, as you're listening at home, there's so many more applications of this exercise. A lot of it, as you hear from the feedback, many different ways of talking about this, but I love to do this early in a class just to have folks go, oh, I experienced the very thing that we're talking about. I get it now, it sinks in a little bit more deeply. Um, off this, do any of you wanna just share like a meta reflection at all before before we move on? Anything that came up for, for you from this? Anything additional? I'll jump in with um, how I learned this exercise. So I learned only round three and it was used, uh, and I learned this from Keith Johnstone in Impro then I also used it in some of my in some of the classes that I was a student in when I first started improvising, and the the real satisfaction of doing it enough and frequently enough so that the self judgment chatter and the need to be creative and you can say porcupine or orange as many times as you want that filters away, and what you're replaced with is this joy is this juxtaposition, the satisfying sort of living juxtaposition of pointing at a water bottle and calling it a shoehorn and that being okay. Yeah. And it's really, it just busts your brain open in terms of possibilities and you're more in the moment than focused on, am I doing it right? Am I giving my presentation correctly? Am I saying something wrong? Am I showing up like a subject matter expert? It's, I'm in it. I'm just in it, yeah. that those voices die away. And it's amazing to see, these are liberating moments for students or participants. They go, I didn't recognize the greater freedoms I have. Uh, and that's what we're all working toward with, with this, I think. Okay. So anyways, we wanted to start with these two exercises just to, first of all, give you something to use, but also uh, to demonstrate the form of pedagogy here, which is to do first, think later. So let's get to some thinking. Uh, and in doing that, let's talk a little bit about what we're each doing. I think everybody here, we have a lot of similarities with being applied improvisers and practitioners and scholarship, but we've also got some differences. So let's, let's get into those. Um, Let's see, Krista, could you start us off? Tell us about the work that you've done and are doing and your connection to this subject. Yeah, thank you so much, Don. And I, I really appreciate the reflections on that last activity. I think for me, one of the things that's so exciting about this work is that it really does foreground the humanness of communication, that mm -hmm. communication is sort of fundamentally human, it's fundamentally embodied, that your, you know, your body is a part of it. I, when I teach um, scientists or medical students, or I even teach students um, in broad disciplines to communicate more effectively using these techniques, I often talk about the idea that we sometimes forget that, um, you know, if we just wanted to deliver information to an audience, 
public speaking is not the most efficient way to do that, right? If our goal is just about delivering information, it's much more efficient to hand someone something and let them read it. But the reason why we speak publicly, the reason why people come to hear us speak is because they want to connect with us as individuals, us as thinkers. And so for me, the work that I do is primarily focused on helping scientists, um, physicians, other folks in the health sciences or healthcare field to communicate more effectively with non-experts. And so the way that I do that is using a lot of these techniques. Recently, I've been working really closely, for example, with the Indiana Department of Health. Um, I'm from Indiana, from Indiana University. And we've been training um, a group of call center employees who are helping the citizens of Indiana get registered to get their COVID-19 vaccinations. And so what I find in this work is by using improv as a tool um, to help folks learn to explain complicated information, that they actually can build better trust and better empathy with the person on the receiving end of that information. Um, and we know that sometimes communicating complicated information can be challenging um, given the political environment and the social media environment. So I love these tools because I think it really disarms participants and prepares them for truly connecting with another person, not just sharing information. Love that. Krista, could I just ask real quick, last week we all talked and you mentioned there's like a number one behavior, like doctors <laughs> that affects how people perceive doctors. What was that again? If you could just remind us. Yeah, absolutely. So um, there's a lot of research that's done in the area of um, patient satisfaction in the medical environment, right? Because obviously hospitals want to make sure that patients are really satisfied with their care. And there was some research done in the 90s that looked at what were the primary drivers of a patient satisfaction score. So, you know, they use a kind of quantitative scale and ask patients to kind of rate their physicians. And controlling for all other factors, the number one predictor of whether or not a patient is satisfied is whether or not a physician sits down in the patient room. And the thing I think that's really interesting about that is that it's not actually the behavior of sitting down that drives the patient's feelings. It's what sitting down means to someone. And for me, that really goes back to why you would use improv techniques to work with physicians and scientists, right? It's understanding that the business of medicine and of healthcare is not just about making you better, but it's about feeling heard, right? Hearing someone's experiences and accepting the idea that patients are experts in their experience. And that's an expertise that is worth listening to in the patient realm, in the, whether that's the, you know, physician, you know, patient room space, or that might be delivering information in the public, that patients have experience and they have expertise in their own experience. So I think that that's one of the things that I love about improv is that it's a really useful tool to kind of foreground um, the experiences of patients and the general public um, in, you know, in the healthcare space. That, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing and, and the work that you're doing. Gary, could we talk a little bit about what you've been up to? Yeah. Similarity. I use applied improvisation as a way to help uh, business professionals, um, you know, learn those. They're called soft skills, but I like to call them essential skills um, because I believe there was some research by Harvard that concluded that 85% of your job success has to do with 
being able to master those people skills, those uh, essential skills. And only 15% has to do with your technical ability uh, to do the job. And, you know, as we all concluded, you know, doing these activities, when you are doing it in an experiential way, you can learn way faster than someone lecturing at you about um, how to be more empathetic, um, how to uh, communicate better. So that's my application uh, of it. And I it's interesting because that is not my background. My background is actually in marketing and communications. And it wasn't until I took an improv class that I had this sort of epiphany, like, why aren't more people doing this? <laughs> and then, you know, that took me down the rabbit hole of learning about applied improvisation. And then I quickly started bringing this to the people that uh, that were in my care. And then I became the improv guy. And then, you know, decades later, now I am, you know, facilitating it as my profession. It's amazing. And uh, if I just say, Gary, we, we met each other at the Corporate Humor Awards. We were panelists on that, I think about a month ago. And one of the things I love, Gary has this whole host of tools for Zoom, like air horns that you use and background features. And when I saw it, I was like, oh, he must be an improviser because he's, he, I could just tell 15 months of pandemic. Hey, let's adapt, folks. Let's work with all the tools at hand. What's out there? Uh, you know, remain curious about that. So uh, it was really, really fun. Um, Caitlin, what, what has been going on in your world? You've just finished a book that is forthcoming, I know. Um, thank you, Don. And um, uh, we will shortly be hearing about Don's book that he just put out into the world, the birthed into the world, a fabulous book. I'm halfway through. And um, it's just, I, I just want to say also, I'm just, I'm honored. And so I'm having so much fun to be with the three of you. It's really exciting to, um, to, be, to be working with you all who are subject matter experts in your, as we're all doing variations of the same kind of work, but you know, in our own different areas of this work. So uh, similarly to Gary, I work primarily in the corporate world doing what's billed as leadership development work, which you could call anything really, but a lot of it is coaching, teaching coaching, helping leaders coach in the workplace, uh, giving feedback, delegating all different kinds of how to, how to manage being in the corporate world. And as I design and facilitate these experiential learning programs, a lot of the exercises that I create are improv games. A lot of the, uh, the games that we did here today and, and a whole bunch of other games. And um, it has been very exciting this past year to work with um, a couple of the pharmaceutical companies who created our vaccines even. To, so to be along the ride with them as they were in such crazy situations trying to work from home, work in a plant, while the pandemic is raging, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's been, it's been a very uh, fruitful, challenging, exciting year. I think that's probably the case for all of us here. Um, I am also the co-editor of, as Don mentioned, two books on applied improvisation. The first one is called Applied Improvisation, Leading, Collaborating, and Creating Beyond the Theater. The second one comes out in August of 2021, August of this year, called The Applied Improvisation Mindset about me. And I just have to say, uh, Caitlin, when I read the first Applied Improvisation book, 
uh, first of all, for anybody listening, it is filled with a host of exercises from different uh, authors, one of which is Krista here. Krista. <laughs> uh, we got exercises in there too, um, which you know are so easy to implement, but you know, profound, I think, in insight and practice. And uh, Caitlin even has a chapter in the book where you you went into Tiffany and Company at one mm-hmm. point and did leadership trainings. And I'll just tell you, one of the concepts that really stuck out to me from that was the idea, you, you, I refer to this all the time, Caitlin, about culture versus climate that you made in that chapter. And I've been telling people, culture, you know, especially as we talk about rolling out, you know, more <laughs> DEI and anti-racism initiatives within organizations, um, the idea that we could change the tone of a room, that we could think about climate versus this monolithic culture idea, that your concept of that real has really informed my thinking uh, since that book came out. It's just chock full of concepts and practices that I think folks would find useful. Thank you, Don. And uh, I did not originate the concept of organizational climate versus organizational culture. I've stood on the shoulders of many others who came before, and I completely agree. It's so practical. The, the organizational culture is the traditions, the history, so much that's unspoken, really difficult to change and really difficult to pin down. Organizational climate is what each leader has a huge influence on for her, his or her team. That is identifiable, measurable, and much easier to influence and change. And so, uh, yeah, I completely agree. I think it's a and with excellent. and with public speaking, a speech you know a speech given could influence the climate, could turn a somber climate into a more joyful climate. But mm-hmm. you know, reaching the level of culture changing, that's probably more work. Mm-hmm. And you can change a culture climate by climate by climate. Love it. Yes, <laughs> makes Let's it, do it accessible. Um, a little plug for the next book, The Applied Improvisation Mindset, that's coming out this year. The exer- It also has a number of exercises in it that are easy to implement, um, both face-to-face and virtual instructions. Great. So I'm Don, uh, really quickly, I've been doing improv for about 20 years. I started performing after college. I had a mentor at the time. I always loved improv. I grew up watching the British version, age of seven. I'm watching Whose Line Is It Anyway? And I just loved improv. I was like, how do they do that? You know, these superhuman communication skills these folks seem to have. And it always seemed like something to, to want to do. And it looked fun. And I got out of college and a mentor said to me, well, now that you've had all these years of, um, and I was a communication major too. So public speaking instruction and textbook theory. It's like, you need a learning that occurs by the nervous system now. And I went, what's that? Well, most of your college education was like aimed at the head. Uh, what about the rest of <laughs> the rest of the body? What about adapting in the moment? And you know, and so I, I enrolled in improv classes and have been hooked ever since, uh, both as a performer and especially the past decade in this field of applied improv, using it in communication instruction, public speaking classes. I would say about half my public speaking classes, whenever I run them, are applied improv exercises. Uh, and sometimes I don't even use those words; we just do it uh, because I, f- I found it so effective. Recently, though, um, I have turned my attention to uh, with the applications of improv to business, corporate life, uh, in science and in healthcare. Um, I started asking the question, with uh, along with the research I do, if if this could affect the level of societies, if it could improve what's been happening in our civic and political world. So I took on a project about five years ago that I've called Improv for Democracy, uh, leading to a book that has come out this year. Uh, where I go into all the ways that I think at the levels of communication skill building first, 
leadership and organizational skill building second, and then lastly, civic skill building. Um, what are the, the both the, the practices and the means of training for this that might help more people become more civic minded and, you know, counteract uh, <laughs> many of the trends we see in social media and other places where it's just a war of all against all, right? Um, some of the points off of that I just wanted to share was, uh, you know, if you might think about people thinking about the political world is about ideology, I think improv gets out of this just being about ideas and actually thinks about whole people with physiologies acting in various ways. There's a lot of research, uh, like Jonathan Haidt in psychology talking about politics isn't just a matter of beliefs and ideas, it goes deeply into people's physiology. So one of the most significant interventions of improv in this space that I've found is breaking people out of their default settings, their habitual patterns of acting, responding, and behaving, and having the ability to make new choices. If you've been telling a single story about our po political world, hey, here's three others that could be told. I'm going to force you to do that, right? Um, it's really great for having people operate beyond their typical defaults. And so we can, we can talk uh, more about that, but I just wanna share one example of the kind of work that this has led to lately. Um, we've been running, uh, my uh, co colleague Mary and Rich and I have been running Improv for Democracy workshops uh, now all over the world. That's been one of the, the freedoms of this pandemic is to do more online and in other places. And we've been running these exercises such as, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, one we got off of the James Corden show and we adapted it, we call it reverse trash talking where uh, we have two people in breakout rooms on Zoom and we say, what we wanna do is we want you to imagine you're trash talking the other person with that tone, but you can only say nice things about the other person. And we found people love this exercise. They, they find it hard, but they're like, I have this, to use the fancy term, cognitive dissonance, right? This, in my mind, I'm like, this tone doesn't go with what I'm saying and just kind of forcing them out of, you know, when I'm angry, I don't. Ha I could have other choices. I could choose to be joyful. I could choose choose other responses. So, um, we had one participant recently going. After doing all these exercises, it makes it really hard to hate other people. And we went. I think that's about the best thing I've heard of all. So we want to make that our tagline for this whole project. Make it hard to hate. Are there exercises or applied improv practices we could use to get make it really, really, really hard to, uh, to hate? others and that's what I've been working on. So you've, yeah, Caitlin, I think you're muted, sorry. I am now not muted. Uh, didn't you mention something about being on a bus this summer? Purple bus Yeah, or something? A, a, another, another experiment this has led to is the New York City Civic Engagement Commission has a public bus tour starting this summer and it's focused on civic engagement in New York City. It's voter, it's a bus that's gonna go around all five boroughs of New York City. It's actually a former Rikers Island bus that the uh, artist in residence at the Civic Engagement Commission is getting painted. I think it's purple. It's gonna have loudspeakers on it with music playing. Just gonna drive through neighborhoods and do theatrical performances in addition to voter registration drives. And we're, we're thinking right now about ways we can use applied improv to go into a space and have people from the bur various boroughs who know about applied improv run exercises with people to get them warmed up. We're just thinking about like, how could you make a voter registration drive fun instead of, hi, here's paper, sign up, blah, 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 right? Um, and get people, uh, you know, make, make democracy fun, a phrase, phrase I've heard before. So that's, that's on the docket right now too. 
Love it. Hard to hate, make democracy fun. Yes. And improve your public speaking. And improve your public speaking. Why not do all of those things at the same time? So I, I thought we uh, talked just a little bit. I think we got into this in our, our lengthened intros there, but you know, what are some learning objectives, further rationales around this work that you found? And also separating for folks what this isn't, because I think a lot of people come think they hear improv and they have a lot of assumptions about what this is or isn't. Can we straighten that out for folks? What what do you what do you all think? Yeah, I'll go first. Uh, this isn't about being funny. Uh, I know, and foremost, anytime I mention improv and people get this hesitation, they think, oh, I'm going to be put on the spot and have to be funny. And just like what you said in the upfront, Don, yes, there, <laughs> humor and laughter, you know, uh, maybe a byproduct of it, but that is not the goal. Yeah, that's great. It takes pressure off of people, right, to be able to say that too. Yeah. I think one of the things that Applied Improv does for the public speaking, uh, for, I will say for public speaking instruction broadly, is that it reminds us that communication isn't just message transmission. Communication is about co-creation of meaning, that it's about working together with an audience or another individual to build shared meaning about a topic. So it's not just about me spewing information to you. And I think applied improv helps us get at that concept better than um, almost any other tool that I've used as a communication scholar and teacher. I'll jump in and add that I think a lot of people assume they will have to be on stage performing for others if they hear the word improv or applied improv. And that could be part of a workshop or a program. It does not have to be. So much of what improvisers practice and study and learn is not on a stage. It's, you know, building on what Gary and Krista just said, it's how, how to respond in the moment like we did with last word, first word, how to attend to your partner, how to be okay saying stuff that comes out of your mouth that you're not expecting, being okay having a, a brain fry where nothing comes out of your mouth because because there's too much information coming at you or you're having too much fun in the exercise or whatever it is and that's okay that's you you can still build with that and i i just i got this from jill bernard and patrick short they have this very small book on improv i think that's actually the name of it the small book on improv um they say that a lot of people come to this thinking this is about winging it and it's good to disabuse folks of that. This is, we're, you know, oh, I just wing it. No, no preparation necessary. You know, those kinds of things. They say, no, actually uh, the way they term it is uh, this is a highly, um, a heightened system of observing, connecting and responding with other people, right? Those things that we, it's heightening those aspects of our existence, how we relate to others. And I found that people find that that distinction pretty useful as well. Are there other concepts that you would raise here? And actually, maybe we should just transition to, uh, you know, because it's about public speaking, what other applications do you see in terms of public speaking concepts that you've used with this work? Maybe even, you know, quick descriptions of other exercises. What have you found useful for public speaking training in particular? So for me, one of the things that I use in my public speaking classroom, this is Krista, is um, 
I do a sort of version of um, PowerPoint slide roulette. Some of you I know have seen some of these in the past where you, you know, bring a PowerPoint slide up um, and have someone, uh, whether it's to speak about what's on the slide or incorporate that into an existing talk that they have, um, that all of those techniques for, for me in my classroom, um, the metaphor that I like to use with my students is um, that these improv games are like drills to an athlete or like scales to a musician. So just like an athlete, you know, goes out and shoots a million free throws and layups before they play the basketball game or plays scales and gets their fingers warmed up before they play, you know, a, a concerto, that same concept holds true that as a, you know, as a public speaker, there are things that you can do to get yourself warmed up and really develop the embodied skills that you need to connect with audiences. So I know that um, Caitlin, Gary, Don, I know that you all have other sort of versions of these activities, but I think the more that we can encourage our students um, to, again, Don, you mentioned that sort of get out of the safe space into a brave space, that one of the ways that you can do that is through that drilling mechanism um, and, and incorporating that into a classroom. Krista, I want to jump on that and thank you for pointing out that these are exercises, they're drills, they're muscle strengtheners. When you give your final polished presentation, nobody needs to know all that work that you did behind the scenes. And that some of some of like an exercise that I'll use is to have somebody tell a simple story or work on their actual presentation. So give the words. The words are not the focus of it right now. So they will tell a story of what they had for breakfast or they will tell their presentation. And then we throw out different genres. Keep going, talk like a cowboy. Keep going, talk as if you are Oprah on a talk show. Keep going, talk as if you are um, in a library and other people aren't supposed to hear you. So that's, that's a great example of, you're not going to do that in your final performance. You could, it could be awfully interesting, but that's not what you're focused on. This is an exercise and it's to help you stretch out of, to what Don said before, your default pattern of doing things. And when you give yourself permission, you, when you're invited to step out of your default pattern, you discover things. You discover things that are exciting to you, the areas you don't want to move into. Whatever you're discovering is part of the mix so that you can, you've got a bigger palette from which to choose, a bigger palette of colors from which to choose and how you want to present yourself. Yeah, and to piggyback on that, a lot of the people that I've worked with, especially in the area of public speaking, you know, they start to realize, like what we said earlier, this is all about co-creation. Your actual words that you deliver is a small percentage of the bigger meaning. And by doing these exercises, by doing these um, activities, you learn, you know, how to sort of respond in the moment. Because um, I've noticed in working with people that are public speakers, when you first have them, all right, go ahead and give me that talk especially if it's a talk they've given over and over again, there's just something about it that they're not engaged, you know, uh, because they're just delivering a talk. Maybe their brain isn't completely lighting up. But when we do these activities like, all right, now speak like a pirate, you know, now dive into the emotional aspect of it. Now we're starting to light the brain up again and getting them to be creative. And then now they become interesting. And Gary, people are having fun through that. And when they're having fun, you don't have to do any convincing because they're like, I'm laughing, I'm enjoying myself, and I'm also improving. 
my communication skills, that's that's such a great sweet spot, right? Versus just sitting there with dry instruction. Um, I, I love all of these examples that you've raised. I'll, I'll add just one more. Um, I have a concept in my book that it, it comes out of, I've seen probably this at 20 different improv theaters, but I've summed it up as manage your energy level. And it's the idea that if we're on our default settings uh, in New York City, for instance, I have students, they get off the subway, they've had a long morning traveling in from wherever and you know they get there and then they have to give a speech and this is how they're really feeling right now. If you were like, how are you, what's your default setting? Hard to get energy to say, well, if you're giving a speech, you might have to push your energy up a bit just to show the audience that you care about them and that you care about the subject matter. There's an old rule in radio that uh, I started my career in radio is in interested is interesting. If you are interested in what you're talking about, it will tend to be infectious. So we managing your energy level is like just shift your energy up slightly and those 15 different nonverbal behaviors, you know, gestures, eye contact will kind of kick in with the, like a burst of energy. So here's the example that I use. It's very straightforward. I, I have somebody up front of the class. I can't remember where I got this, by the way, but uh, I say, come in front of us and tell, what are you an expert on? What's something you know about? And someone might say, <laughs> I had this last time, somebody's like, molecules. I was like, great. I know very little about molecules. You know a lot about that. And they get up and I say, just, you know, for a minute, imagine you're giving a speech about molecules and they come up front and they go, oh, well, you might know about atoms. Uh, well, here's a molecule and this is right. And they go into it and say, okay, great. Now round two, I want you to go over to the side and come back in give that same improvised speech, but this time I want the first words out of your mouth to be, I have the most incredible thing to tell you. And they come up and they go, I have the most incredible thing to tell you. Did you know molecules are the basis of everything? <laughs> you know, they get the, and they're like looking at the audience, they're connecting and it's amazing just to see a little bit of energy shift upward and the speaking is a little bit more electrifying. And I say, it doesn't have to be bouncing off the walls energy, but now you have a more focused energy where you can see you're adapting to the audience. Um, and I, I, lo I love that just for, for speaking instruction. I love that too. I just wrote it down. Thank you, Don. Right. And they can, they can, by the way, they can just say that themselves before a presentation in their head. They get up uh, in their minds, I have the most incredible thing to tell you, and then launch into it uh, without saying the phrase. So we are... Uh, we're having a jolly old time here moving along. I can I just ask, uh, we've got we've got a wrap up coming here pretty soon, but I, I would feel remiss without talking about this. The past 15 months, we've all shifted online. And I'll tell all of you, you know, I, I wrote a piece about this. If you'd asked me six months before the pandemic, could you ever do this via Zoom or online? I would have chuckled and said, this is the opposite of that, right? And boy, have I been proved wrong over and over again. So I just wondering, would each of you share a little bit in your work with this applied improv for communication, public speaking and beyond, what shifts have you made in the past 15 months? How has this worked out online in this shift to a digital world? Let's start um, because for me, this has been um, a really big, obviously shift as you mentioned on. And um, I will share something really humbling, and that is that I kind of needed a little dose of my own medicine in the Zoom space, um, in doing improv in the Zoom space. And that is that um, I went into it thinking um, that the technology, like that the technology was this big burden. Technology, the technology is something that you have to get used to, but it's a tool like any other tool that you have. And for me, 
I, I think what I learned was that um, things were going to go wrong. It wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of when. And that my audience members and my trainings would mirror my emotions. Big improv idea, right? That if I got really flustered when the technology didn't work right, that my audience members and my trainings were going to get flustered with me. But if I just could take a deep breath and say, you know what? The technology is going to fail us. We'll work it out. We'll come up with a new plan. The more likely my audiences were to be in it with me as well. And again, that really is um, one of the things that we that we try to teach our participants in our applied improv workshops is about sort of how can you mirror emotions and sort of use your audience as a tool um, to keep you calm and connected. So I would say in moving into the Zoom space, that's one of my big lessons learned is that um, the technology will fail us. And the more that we can do to just let our participants know that we're partners in this and we're going to work together to solve the problems. I think oh. for me. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go, go, go. You go. Um, all right. I'll go. For me, it's it goes back to the improv principle of everything's an offer. Uh, I, yes, going into this, I, I had the same sort of mindset of like, I don't think this is possible we, we have to be in person you know all these things were built on person to person sort of contact and, and connection and once i took a step back and i said all right everything's an offer and i started to see things from a different perspective then the creativity started happening and as you know don mentioned in the beginning i started experimenting again and it was a lot of fun of like all right my objective is how can we create this connection in this virtual world? All right, well, what if we try this? And then, you know, and in improv, we say, if this is true, then what else is true? Then I just started building on that. And yeah, uh, as Kristen mentioned, yes, there were lots of failures, uh, technology being one of the big ones, but everyone was along for the ride. And as a result of that, we've come up with some stuff that I don't think we could have discovered otherwise. I love that, Gary. Um, it's been so long since I've been face to face in a room with participants that it's hard for me to even kind of remember that paradigm. But but what you were just mentioning of we're all in this together, you and Krista were, were both saying that, that, that in a traditional classroom space, I would be standing in front often, not always, but the, the traditional way format is for me to be standing in front of a group of people. And I, there's a, I, I'm a me and they're a them. And this was such a leveler of that playing field. I may have been the, you know, the facilitator of a session. And to Krista's point, if I'm flustered, they will be taking their emotional cues from me. If I'm flustered, they're going to get flustered. If I'm confident and rolling with the changes that don't go well, they'll figure it out as well. So that's that's been a very exciting shift here. One of one of the it's it's all about connection, absolutely, and I think that's where improv exercises adapted to an online space are so effective because we're starved for this connection, and the simplest little improv game can open up people in such glorious ways. So that's been a big, exciting aspect of this past year. Another is the power of the chat box. And when I, so, okay, I'm familiar in, in full group conversations, 
if I've got 20 leaders in front of me in a room, by the end of a three-day workshop together, we're hearing from the extroverts primarily, right? And as much as I try to create settings where people could speak in small groups, in the large group settings, we don't hear as much from the people who prefer to think before they speak. By using the chat box in a virtual setting, you can say everyone, you know, I'm going to, you know, going to take 20 seconds. Everyone compose your, your thought, your reaction to whatever the question is or the subject is. And then one, two, three, hit enter at the same time. Boom. All the feedback comes in at the same time. And then we stop and we read. We, then we're, now we're all practicing like introverts. We all have to stop and we have to read what's there. We have to slow down. We're, we're listening to, so there's, there's, there are so many things that we can do in a an online space that we can't do in face-to-face. -face. So it's going to be really interesting, interesting to see what, what comes out of this going forward. How do we steal from each of these spaces to make each other, make them each as strong as possible? And I, I'm, I agree. I think you hit all the things I would say, every one of you. Um, I went through my book and I went, I just said, can I imagine how this might work on Zoom? And I found 93% of the exercises in my book fit when Zoom and same thing, Caitlin, some of them are better online. Uh, for instance, get two people together, say you're gonna have a conversation and we're gonna change things up as you have a conversation. Uh, I'd also like you to change your backgrounds. Here's a Zoom background. You're both on a park bench and they change their backgrounds. Like, oh my gosh, this is more like film than you know being in class. And uh, things like, I got a little exercise, have a conversation on the park bench, but I'm gonna, at, at a certain point, I'm gonna start playing different kinds of music. And I want you to adapt to the feeling of the music to change the tone of the conversation. So, you know, at one moment, ACDC is playing, the next moment, uh, I've got classical, then hip hop. And then you can just see the body language changing and the feelings. And I was like, that's so much easier to do on online. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Okay, so we are, uh, this is, uh, we need to get toward the end here. Um, I thought we would just, uh, we, we had talked about as a group, possibly doing a rapid fire questions for each of us here. Uh, and I've uh, got two. So let's see, uh, your favorite improv principle and why, and what you're currently reading or listening or watching right now. Uh, favorite improv principle, re reading, listening, watching right now, each of us. Caitlin, yeah. I'll ju jump right in. My favorite improv principle uh, for the moment is commit. Mm. Just commit. So in an improv context, theatrical improv context, that is, uh, you're endowed by someone else as being a surgeon and you think to yourself, I don't even know how to hold a scalpel. I don't know what that means to just then just whatever that looks like, you just commit. You are 100% into that. And boy, that spills over into the rest of your life also, right? I don't know how to do the whatever. I'm not sure about the whatever. Even though I don't know how to do it, I'm going to commit and see where this goes. So commit is my favorite principle for the moment. I'm watching on Netflix a documentary, ser documentary series called Abstract. Highly recommend it. It's got these, they're beautifully done little episodes on different creative thinkers and doers in the world. I'll go next. Improv Principle, make your partner look amazing. Um, by focusing on that, one, you get out of your own head. Uh, and two, you're all about empathy and and thinking, how can I serve? How can I make this better? Um, and it reminds me of the you know saying that we say all the time is we is greater than me. And so that's why I love that. And I will always be a champion of that. And what I am watching um, is on Hulu. 
unfortunately is only on hulu so hopefully you have access to hulu um it is a recording of an off-broadway uh, production of uh, in and of itself by uh derek delagardo uh, derek delgardo and it is it's amazing it is that's all i'm gonna say i'm just gonna say just go watch it it's all about identity and you will probably end up like in tears like i was Gary, that it blew my mind. And you're exactly right. There's just nothing. There's no words you can use for it. You just go watch it. <laughs> it's incredible. Um, I, I've actually was just inspired by both Caitlin and Gary here. Um, and this is how improv goes, folks. You know, you come in. I, I had an idea I was going to say. And I love that both Caitlin and Gary, they're, sim they're simple things. Like, just commit, right? Make it simple. And in that spirit, um, one of my favorites uh, is just play. Uh, Jennifer Bascom, who's an improv teacher in LA, told me this probably 12 years ago. I, I think I was doing a scene on an improv, uh, improv scene and I was in my head, I, was, I had rules. I was like, oh, am I yes ending? And I was just up there and she's like, drop it all, just play. <laughs> and I was like, oh, and all of a sudden the scene was fun. And so just the idea of like, you're in a certain state of being, sometimes just going, ah, just play. You know, forget about all the rules and, and just connect with the other person and have fun. That's great. Um, two things, one fun and uh, one a little bit more uh, on a more serious note. Uh, Middle Ditch and Schwartz, if any of you haven't seen this on Netflix, is a two-person improv show. Uh, and it, you might recognize that like uh, Middle Ditch, I think, is in uh, Silicon Valley. And you'll recognize them both from TV. But they get up on a stage, two people holding this it, huge theater crowds attention for an hour creating scenes characters it, I, it just for me underscored how majestic this work can get is watching two people uh on this netflix special really great and then on a more serious note i'm i've just started reading a book called the body keeps score about trauma because uh i think with so much going on with pandemic and mental health and trauma issues and what that is isn't and just the the title of the book intrigued me that the body keeps score is like wow improv so much about embodiment and movement and accessing that level of ourselves i am about halfway through the book now uh i'm i'm amazed at uh just the subject of trauma and i'm thinking about applications with this work and uh committing myself to learning as much as possible i can about mental health and trauma and things like that, which are not in my expertise uh, in order, I think, to adapt to other people better and understand my own and others' experiences better. This is so great. I'm getting so many really good ideas. My book list is gonna be huge. My watching list is gonna be huge. Um, thank you to all of you for these amazing ideas. My favorite improv principle um, is when I said to you all in prep, bring a brick, not a cathedral. Mm. Uh, the idea that we each come, instead of coming with that fully formed, beautiful idea that we come with a pile of bricks, we come with these offerings and we work with someone else to build that cathedral together. And it's often different and more beautiful than we could ever have anticipated. So I love that. Um, in terms of reading and watching, um, Don, you mentioned um, uh, The Body Keeps Score. I'm so excited to read that. I'm also reading a book about bodies um, called More Than a Body. The subtitle is Your Body is an Instrument, Not an Ornament um, by Kite and Kite. And um, it's two women who ask us to sort of rethink how we talk about bodies, particularly women's bodies, but bodies in general, and kind of thinking about our bodies as instruments, not ornaments, is a really powerful a mental health concept for me, and I think a powerful concept in the public speaking space. 
Um, my other sort of recommendation is um, a podcast that I love um, that's developed by the magazine Fast Company, and it's called Creative Conversation. And um, the podcast host has really wonderful conversations with psychologists and practitioners, everyone from like David Sedaris to, um, you know, a leading psychologist to neuroscientists to studying creativity. But it's all about how creativity um, works in collaboration with others. So really fun podcast called Creative conversation you are on mute don come well, sorry, on I, I was just gonna say I, I love that we're all we're all giving each other resources as we move oh, absolutely too so i uh, just wanted to say uh, if you want to get in contact with all of us any of us i think we're all on linkedin right uh you've got the names that you can put that in there linkedin Chat with us, message us, uh, whatever you want. Uh, I, I'm Don. I have this new book, Improv for Democracy. Uh, what about the rest of you? You've got, uh, and you can find that on Amazon. The, the rest of you, uh, any anything you're Don Weissenden. It's a fabulous book, Improv and Democracy. I'm Caitlin McClure. I've got two books of case studies on applied improvisation. I'm Krista Hoffman Longton. I do research on applied improvisation, and you can find more of my work on my LinkedIn page. Yeah, and I'm Gary Ware. Uh, I go under Breakthrough Play, but you can find all of that on my LinkedIn as well. Excellent. Thank you, everyone. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. I hope you, uh, as an audience, that we've given you plenty of food for thought and new practices and philosophies, all kinds of things to work with in public speaking. All right. Thank you all. And this is the Pops Podcast. Bye. Bye. Bye.